Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. But today we want to finalize this series called No Games with God. And we've been looking at it from the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And we kind of went through a few of the churches early pretty quick. As there are seven churches, we only had five weeks to do it. And I said, this month of July, we're really going to talk to people about this. But I have, I, I feel like the task of the hardest church to talk about. And uh, the Laodicean church. But before we get there, uh, the first church was the church of Ephesus that represents a church that God desires. That God always desires us. That we are still at that church. The second church represents a church that God anoints, and we are still at God's anointed church. Whether we feel anointed or not, we are still at the anointed of God. And the third church represents a church that God lifts up, for we are to be a city on the hill for the world to see. We are to be a light to a lost and dying world. The fourth church that I tired was a church that represents a church that God's called to worship him. But also we've seen false worship and false prophets and prophetess. Uh, as they had announced themselves in that church and then how that we got to stand up and deal with tr- and have true worship and true worship exposes false things in the church and then the fifth thing Sardis fifth church represents a church that's that we called to have the joy of the Lord and uh, that we are able to have that and we can don't have to be a dead church but we can have the joy of the Lord that when people come to church and are scared to cough there's something wrong with that church. A church is not meant to be quiet. A church is meant to be worshipful to God and is meant to be a place that, that is conducive for the atmosphere and the presence of God. We are not to be a dead church. We are to reach the lost. We are to do ministry. So many things that make us alive. And then the Sixth Church Philadelphia, which Kristen done so good uh, with last week, and I, I even heard her rap a little bit in the 11 o'clock because the 9 a.m. got with her. And by the way, I didn't know you was on the camera this morning. And I looked over and finally seen her. I'm like, where is she at today? She skipped out on the 9 a.m. service, but she's, she's serving. And um, anyways, the Philadelphia Church, she talked about, you know, brotherly love. And the, the 9 o'clock got with her on the rap. The 11 o'clock did a little bit, but you couldn't hear him. As much with the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, the rap, and she was just up here just rapping. I went, You go, girl. And then today we're talking about the Laodicean church, which is the, the, the it means the people rule, basically, is what this means. And it's not that God rules, but the people rule. It's sad, but we're in a day and time where the people are ruling in the church more than God's ruling in the church. And we're going to get down to that today. But the layout of the Sigan Church is a church it represents where they do not put God first. And it's so easy to fall into this. It's not that we purposely say, I'm in charge, I'm not putting God first. It's just that we are such a blessed nation and blessed people that it's easy to say, I can attain wealth for myself. And I can make all my needs happen. And we can do all of that and still yet be cute with church on Sunday. All right, so Revelation 3, 15 and 16, we know we're talking to the church of Laodicea, and it says this, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot, would that you would either, you would be either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, or even one portion of scripture says that he will vomit, another way is that he will vomit or spew you out, that it makes him sick, in other words, that you mean God's church can make him sick, apparently so. Apparently that it can be a bitter taste in the mouth of God, that we can be. This time of Revelation, this was a prosperous city. They had a lot of wealth. 
that he's able to make a lot of things happen for them. And even under a massive earthquake in 60 AD, they did not want to take any money from the Roman government because they said, we can do it ourselves. That's what kind of wealth they had. We don't need your help, Rome, but we can rebuild our own city because we have our own wealth. So there became an arrogance with this church that I've got everything that I have need of and no one can give me anything. And that's so easy to fall into because we're able to get anything. Christmas is not as fun as they used to be as a kid because now we get everything we want before Christmas. And I know not everybody's there, but I, no one knows what to buy me for Christmas. I'm hard to buy gifts. I'm like, if I want something to go get it, but I don't go get a lot of things. I don't need a lot of things. don't have to have a lot of things. And Chris is like, you're so hard to buy for. And I'm like, yeah, but we get what we want. So it's very easy for us to fall into a place that we can meet all of our own needs. All right? So they counter their prosperity. They counter it as a part of their, their relationship of God is that, look at us, we are wealthy. We know all we need to know about God. We can show up. We're wealthy. We have everything we have need of. And how many know financial blessings does not mean that you are in the good standing of God? Because this is what it's showing here uh, in Scripture. It's just not talking about financial blessings. It's talking about material. It's talking about worldly things. So let's just don't focus on money. See, the church was, was very lazy spiritually. They definitely wasn't lazy in their work habits because they had a lot of money. Apparently they was good at working, but when it came to their spirituality, they just wasn't up on their cutting edge, so to speak, or up on their best game before God. And I ain't talking about God as games, but they was not putting forth their very best effort before God because everything was coming so easy everywhere else. And a lot of people won't call on God until something wrong happens. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you hear people are very judgmental. Well, they called up on God when things got bad. Well, when else are you supposed to call upon him? I mean, if you're not calling up on any other time, maybe God can use that to get them. So we should not also look at, anytime someone calls on God, it's not a bad thing. We should never say, well, you know, I, I can't go to church because I've not served him all these years. Why would I serve him now? But if they, they don't go to the hospital every week to visit the doctor, they go when they only have a need, right? But they still went when they had a need. God will heal us. He wants to hear from us. No matter the catastrophe or how good or how bad things are in our life, God still yet wants to hear from us. All right, so this church, we know, they, they were near dead. They, they thought they were perfectly fine with God. They wasn't cold. They wasn't on fire, but they was lukewarm, which just was the perfect temperature to make God sick. Another problem with the church was their poor leadership. Paul even mentioned them in the writings of Colossians. In Colossians 4, 16 and 17, and the epistle is read among you, calls that is to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that likewise... Read the epistle, the way of the sin, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Archippus was a bishop, and the chief elder was been reproved for not fulfilling his call to God. He was not in his role where he needed to be. And even in this writing, it's like Paul is bringing a reproof to him. And rebuking him, so to speak, like, you need to get your act together. There's no games with God. He said, you got to get it together. And, and when you study out this Laodicean church, the water springs near Laodicea were very famous 
But this water was also lukewarm. It had a foul taste. If you drank from these springs, it would make your stomach turn. And you would, you're, and you would have, if you, especially if you had an empty stomach, it would even cause you to possibly vomit. Their main water supply came on a six-mile pipeline from a hot spring. This hot spring, eventually, when it would get to them on the six-mile pipeline, it would be lukewarm. It would not be cold, but it would be lukewarm. So this is the way God would choose to speak to them because then they would understand it. They was already enduring this in the natural and they knew it would make them sick on an empty stomach and it wasn't the best water. They knew what it would be like to drink this water and God says, you're much like that pipeline that when the time it gets to you, it's lukewarm. It makes you sick. That is what is happening with your relationship towards me. Now, you've got to understand, this is a New Testament church. It's a church under grace that God is talking to just like this. Jesus describes himself to the church as a faithful and true witness, letting him know. He said, he, he, he opened up, Jesus did say, I'm a faithful and true witness. God is faithful, even in our unfaithfulness. He is true, even when our life is a lie. Letting us know that he... He's still right there and faithful to us, even if we have been unfaithful, that he is still yet faithful to us. And Jesus told him, you're, you're, you're neither cold nor hot. And this is a picture of lukewarmness would immediately connect with the Christians of Laodicea because the water they drank every day was lukewarm. And Jesus said, just as that water you drink is disgusting. He said, you're not hot nor cold. And this life of indifference you have and this life of compromise that you have is making me sick. And there's never, if there's ever been a time of compromise even within the church, because really this would be a message for the church. Yesterday we was in Cincinnati. We done this quick trip up and back to see the Bengals practice. We're big Bengals fans. And my son has had this on the calendar and asked if we could go for like months. And he's like, we got to go, we got to go. It's a free event. I mean, it's not free driving up there and back, but free event. You go in, and we got to see him practice. It's a lot of fun. But as we're standing in line to get in this place, 28,000 people trying to get in there to watch him practice. And it was a lot of fun. There's these people on the side of the road preaching. And they are preaching. They have a big sign that says judgment and hell and all this. And that's all they preach was judgment and hell. And it, my mind just was just blown. And I can remember when Gil, and, and then all this flooding has happened up Gilbert Creek and, and in eastern Kentucky. And I can remember when the floods happened about 15, 16 years ago in Gilbert when we was pastoring there, that we had these people coming from like Indiana and places like that telling us that the reason why we're flooded is because of the judgment of God. I'm like, hey, these people we're helping are people we go to church with. I know they live a good life. I know it's not the judgment of God, but bad things do happen to very good people. But these people is preaching judgment and all that. But do you realize that when Jesus would preach to the lost, that it was never judgment. It was always love and peace. But do you realize when he would preach to the Sadducees and Pharisees, he would talk about hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> so when he's teaching to the lost, it's about getting in a relationship. But for those that knew better, the Sadducees and Pharisees, he's like, listen. He said, there's a place called hell. And he preached hellfire and brimstone to them. And I'm like, here's all these 28,000 people. I'd be giving out water, telling them that Jesus loves them. And because a lot of them did not know God. And I, am, I was shocked at the things they were saved. 
And Ethan was even calling it out. They're saying this. They're saying that. And I've seen this before at Kroger in, 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 in Logan. I crossed, he got Kroger one day. There's someone up in the AutoZone parking lot preaching from there. And it was just blurring out. And his mom pulled in there. And he, he could tell me everything that guy said that day because it was going all over Central Baptist and uh, Valley Market and the Kroger parking lot. You could just hear this guy up on the hill preaching judgment to everybody. Let me tell you, we should not endorse that in the public eye. Because that's not who the church is. That's not who my God even is. Don't get me wrong. There is a place called hell and there's a place called heaven. Yes, we got to preach it all. I believe that. But when it comes to a lost and dying world, the very first message they need to hear is the cross, Christ dying for us, and the resurrection. And, but when it came to the land of the sea in church, they knew the gospel. They knew the truth. So Jesus came at them and said, you're compromising in the areas of your life. And if the church needs to hear messages like this so that we can look into our heart, ask the Holy Spirit to search us to see if there be any wicked way or thing in our life. See, this Laodicean church exemplifies an empty religion. An empty religion. The tax collectors and harlots were more open to Jesus than the scribes and the Pharisees. And sometimes we become so church that even the unchurch is more open to the thought of Jesus than even the church really is. Now that'll preach. Because we're so used to just doing church in the way that we think we should do church. That we have left relationship outside of the church with God. And we're just doing church when God has really challenged us to have a relationship with him and be close to him. It's always been about relationship and always will be about relationship with Jesus. See, when Jesus wanted to change it in them and us, and as much as anything, in the deceptive playing of the middle of the road as they was playing, trying to please both the world, and Jesus wanted to change that in them. That's what was the problem with the Sadducees and the Pharisees were. He, they were just in the middle of the road. They had just enough religion to look like they had spiritually together, but they had no relationship. We need to have more than religion in this world. This world is looking for people that are genuine. Looking for people that will really love God and really love others. Not just say it. It's one thing to say that you really love people, but it's another thing to really love them with grace and with the mercy that Christ would have us to have. See, hot water we know heals and cold water refreshes, but lukewarm water is useless for either purpose. It was as if Jesus said, if you were hot or cold, I could do something with you. But because you're lukewarm, you're harder to deal with. Pharisees, Sadducees, very hard to deal with. See, the thief on the cross was cold, and he was definitely seeing his need for God that day. Like, that is deathbed repentance, I believe in it. Whenever they call on God, I believe. It doesn't matter. If they've never walked into the church, you still call on God and be saved. I believe that. I believe in that grace. See, John, the Baptist was so hot towards Jesus he, that he enjoyed that relationship of love. But then you had a Judas in the crowd, one of the twelve. Jesus was uh, Jesus teaching and preaching, and Judas following was lukewarm, yet never given his fullness of his heart over the God. Living a lukewarm life, especially towards the end. He might have had it together at one point. There's a line Jake Jacobs used to say, and I still laugh when I hear it. No, most of y'all don't know Jake Jacobs, but he would say, God, he said, take them out, strike them down when they're right. 
<laughs> he said, because a lot of times they're not right, so take them out while they're right. <laughs> just a funny thing, just a funny joke. But how could, how could Jesus say, I could wish that you were cold? I mean, how could Jesus say that? I mean, the Laodicean we know means the rule of the people or the people rule. And the church well represents a, or the church well represents a church run by the majority rule is what he's saying instead of God. That they was ruling, they was making decisions, and they was putting themselves first and not God first. And lukewarmness is the natural tendency of our fallen natures of our flesh. When we are relaxed in our relationship with God, in a way that we're not praying or being the word or attending or serving as we should, what happens is, is that we become lukewarm and it becomes our comfortable place. It's where we compromise at. It's where we lower the standard at. See, cold makes us shiver and great heat causes pain, but lukewarm bath is comfort itself. So lukewarmness becomes a human nature of comfort for us. We love comfortable. We live a life of desired comfort. So such a temperature suits the human nature that when we find it, we don't like for it to be challenged either. Oh, and when it's challenged, we anger. Because I'm comfortable. Why are you preaching the word? And it's making me uncomfortable. It's maybe because you're in a place of compromise or in a place of lukewarmness. See, the world is always at peace with a lukewarm church because a lukewarm church is out to please itself and it does not even bother the world. But a church that's on fire begins to make a shift in things around them with the message of the truth because the truth brings freedom. And there comes friction when truth and on fire people are really doing the things that God's called them to do. But lukewarmness never interferes with the world. Never makes an impact in the world. So God described a lukewarm church that made him want to vomit out of his mouth. How are churches in the mouth of Jesus? How is, it, how is that? Well, we are to be his mouthpiece to spread the word. We are to be the mouthpiece that are to be prayer warriors before him. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, that we should always have a mind of prayer. It's what Paul said that was one of his challenges to one of the early churches. In the epistles, he said, pray without ceasing. We should be people of prayer. So what Jesus has against this church was so bad that he wanted to spit or vomit. And then this is what he said to him in Revelation 3 and 17. For, I, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I have need of nothing. And then he began to name all of these things that they really were. I mean... Potable, poor, blind, naked, wretched. He began to name those things to them. Here they had a sense of poverty. They looked at their spiritual condition, but they said they, they declared they were rich. They looked at their natural things that were happening and said, I must be in good stand with God because I'm rich. Look at me. I have prospered. Then they looked again at themselves and, and compared it to their spirituality. We have need of nothing, so all must be well with God. But they were the opposite of blessed. They are poor in spirit, which was the opposite, really, of what Jesus was spoke, spoke of in Matthew 5. When he was preaching the Sermon on the Mountain, the Beatitudes, and he was telling us all those things about the poor in the spirit. But 
opposite of that poor in spirit. We're really talking about they had lacked spiritually, that their spirituality was basically bankrupt. Well, the Seagans put their, their material prosperity in outward luxury and physical health, and they felt like they didn't need anything, and they lost a sense of need, and that's a dangerous place to be. A drowsy man will lose sense of need and freeze to death. I see the church has been drowsy, and we do not see our need of God or warming up. So we've lost our sensitivity to the things of God. If you don't do spiritual things, and you're not connected to God spiritually, then you don't sense him when he's speaking, and it becomes like this. If we are really close to God, his voice to your heart is like me speaking this mic. But as you quit praying, and you quit getting the word, and you start lacking on your spirituality, his voice gets further away, further away. But the Holy Spirit's invisible. He's not. He's not present again. He's got every right to break down your door. But he's like, I'm not present. I'm not present. I'm not present. What Jesus wants the church to do is this. Revelation 3, 18 and 19. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. And the shame of your nakedness may not be, may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The change in the Laodiceans had to begin with understanding their spiritual poverty. We need to understand that we can be spiritually impoverished. Well, about grace, I'm preaching grace today. See, you get a challenge from God that you're not where you need to be with me. I'm trying to get you from the lukewarm state to be on fire for me. We're talking about a church under grace that God says you made me sick. But here's God just trying to get them to understand, though you have all those things, don't become relaxed in relationship with me. As long as we believe, as we believe, we can meet the need for wealth, clothing, and sight for ourselves, we'll never receive them from Jesus. When we believe we have all that, then we'll never believe Jesus for any of those things. But when we believe Jesus for all of those things and those things come in our life and we're in relationship with him, that's where God wants us. He wants us to know he gave us the ability to obtain what we have. That he's given us the ability to pay for what we pay for. And it's all fine things. See, in Uganda, you, you don't preach like this because no one has anything in Uganda. When I'm over there, they, they look like a million. They know how to dress, but they really don't have nothing. They live in shacks. They're lucky if they got a meal coming tomorrow. But in America, we are definitely challenged to get out of our comfort zone. He said, buy from me gold refined in the fire. I mean, if they, if they receive from Jesus his riches, his gold... Refining the fire, then they may be rich. But he said, buy from me. He said, if you want to buy, you're buying a lot of things, but buy from me. I mean, do we really buy from God? I'm going to get into that. We really don't buy, so to speak. We can't buy anything from God. But what he's saying is buy into me first. Be bought into me. 
Believe me. Have faith in me. Put me first. And then he said, white garments that you may be clothed. He, in other words, he said, if you receive from, from Jesus the pure, the righteous covering, he gives, then they would be clothed. No longer would they have shame or nakedness. None of that would be revealed. He said, none of that will be revealed with you, that you'll be clothed with me. See, the merchants of Laodicea were famous for a glossy black wool they used to make beautiful garments. And Jesus said, I know the beautiful black garments that you provide in the world and that you buy, that you sell everywhere. But he said, those are black. And Jesus said this to them, I have white garments for you to clothe me. So they identified, again, Jesus spoke to them with what they could identify with, knowing that they sold black garments. And when he said white, that's the opposite of black. He said, and there's nothing wrong with the garments they were providing. It's just garments, but this is the way that Jesus could speak to them in a way that they would understand. He said, but I have white garments for you. See, Jesus gets down in our house, and he has coffee with us, and he speaks to us, and he speaks to the things that need to be changed in our life. And then he said, anoint your eyes with eye salve. In other words, he said, that way you can see spiritually and be healed spiritually. Even though you are in Christ and you're going to church and you're lukewarm, there's still at times we need to be healed spiritually. And that our spiritual eyes need to be reopened. Jesus said, buy from me. How can we buy these things from Jesus? We don't earn them through our good works. So he said, be bought into what I have told you. Be bought into the truth. The truth brings freedom. But also, he was letting us know that instead of you having this all self-sufficiency in your life, and that all this labor you spend to get all your needs provided for, he said, and, and, and these are what you're believing are absolutely necessities in your life. He said, what I'm telling you to do is that you need to turn it around and begin to access things by faith. Learn to access things by faith in me. Putting me first and accessing by belief and prayer the necessities of your life. Find some dependence upon me because we can't buy God or earn God. We cannot do that. Nothing we could ever do would be good enough, and it's already been paid for anyhow. But he said, by faith, access these things in, in your life spiritually in me. See, if we never put faith to practice, then our faith becomes dead. We should live a life of faith, a faith of when we pray, we're believing in a God that cannot be seen, but we know that he's real, so that's faith. Faith, reading the word, knowing it's the very word of God. Every word written is God's breath of inspiration. That's faith. When I go out to start my car, I have faith. It's, I mean, it's automatically it's a faith been at work. But when you begin to do spiritual things, whether you realize or not, you're putting the faith to work. When you pray to God, when you do a devotion, you're believing God. You're putting God first in all these things. God is just saying, just acknowledge me in all that you do. And I want to direct your paths. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. With a sharp rebuke, had Jesus lost his love for this errant church? No. He was rebuking them because he loved them. Your kids, do you jump onto your kids because you just don't like them? <laughs> no. You get on to them because you're trying to teach them to be a good adult. This weekend, Ethan got frustrated me and Chris. It's like, if we don't tell you, when you get 18 or 19, you'll regret that we don't tell you that. Because apparently you didn't know. <laughs> so we had to tell you. So the word 
for love here, that he loves. He says that he loves those that he rebukes, basically, and he chastens. It's not the Greek word agape love, which agape love in the Greek means a love that you're willing to lay down your life sacrificially for someone else, even to the point of death. But it wasn't that love, it's phileo, which is a love, which is a friendship love. Jesus' heart to the church is this, and I know this is a difficult message. Is that even though I rebuke you and chasten you, I am still your friend and I love you deeply as my friend. I told you a few weeks ago that sometimes God tells us that we have boogers. And you're like, what in the world are you talking about? I don't like telling someone they have a booger. Hey, you got something there. It's just, I don't even like telling. I would rather someone else tell them. I want you to tell me that I got one. But sometimes God's got to point out the ugly things in our life. And sometimes we don't like it. But Jesus has to point them out in order for us to know that he, he loves us enough to point it out. When you tell someone they got something on them, you're doing it because you don't want them to be embarrassed and you care enough for them. You're being a friend. See, Jesus' heart to the church is this. Even though I rebuke you, even though I chasten you, I am deeply, you're deeply my friend in whom I love. And the word love here is one by choice. In other words, God still chooses to love you. That it's by choice. See, Jesus told them to be zealous and to repent. Now, what, what do you mean, zealous and repent? Well, that word Jesus' deepest desire is for that they would be hot. That they wouldn't be lukewarm, but they would be hot. And, and that's really the message that we're getting here, is that he wants them to be deeply in relation with him. But he uses that word zealous, which is associated in the Greek as the same word as being hot. He said, you, I want you to be zealous and repent. I want you to be hot. I want you to be in love with me. I want you to be on fire for me. And I want you to repent. Yet, he said, you're lukewarm. He said, you're the hardest to speak to. You're the hardest to deal with. A lukewarm person that's on the fence is the hardest person to challenge. It's the hardest person for God to reach. He said, I'd rather you be cold because it's easier to reach you. I'd rather you be hot because I already got you. See, repentance is this, is a sincere remorse and regret of sin in one's life in which they desire to turn away from sin to change their mind. That you change your way. It's a deep regret and remorse of what you have made your relationship with God. That's what repentance for church people look like. Is that you regret that you have allowed your relationship with God to get here. And now that you want to change and turn away from your sin and change your mind. Is it biblical for the church to repent? The church repented all God's people that was in relationship with him. There was many times they repented. And the church led to say had to repent for their sins. That was the call of God. That was the message. Is that you need to be zealous on fire and you need to repent. He told them all those other things to get there. But we repent sometimes to get rid of conviction for a moment. We repent maybe because there won't be consequences. That's not, we, don't, we shouldn't repent to possibly get rid of consequences. We shouldn't repent just to get rid of conviction for a moment. But we should repent because God has a better way and life for us. That's why we repent. It's not to do all these other side things, but the root of it is, is to just be zealous again. So we need to make our life following Jesus, not just a hobby or an occasional activity. Revelation 3 20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come in him, into him and dine with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus gave this lukewarm church the great invitation. He invited them. See, he knocked at the door, asked an entry to come and dine with them. And it was really, though he's coming in their life, it was an invite for him to come. He said, I'm inviting myself, but you still have to open the door. In the sense of sharing warm and intimate time. It only happens as we respond to his knock. But the promise is made to all. If anyone hears my voice. And then you know if he's knocking, you're hearing his voice. And it's always a gentle knock. He has every right to bust in the door. <laughs> you know, I've seen parents take the door off of their kids' room. Because they got every right to go in there any time because they paid the bills. It's like a parent can look at their kid's phone anytime they want. They paid the bills. If your kid has expressed to you differently, you should take their phone for about a month. That will teach them from expressing that. <laughs> and you as a parent have every right. God has every right to do it, but God does it a little bit differently. He said, I want you to want me. I want you to be zealous for me. Jesus said, I stand at the door. Sadly, Jesus stood on the outside knocking to get in. If you look at the Philadelphia church, this church was an open door. I mean, this was the best church. This was the church on fire for God, and they had the door open. The Laodicean church, they had the door shut. They done church without Jesus. They done church without being real with God. Why did Jesus stand outside the door? Why did he knock? Why did he wait and wait until someone opened the door? He had every right to knock it down. He, him being sovereign and all-knowing. Decided to stay at the woo at the heart of humanity. Just as he does our heart today. The occupant must open the door showing us that we must make the decision even as a lukewarm state to say, okay, God, you come in. I, I invite you to deal with my mess. The key to opening the door is to first hear the voice of God. When you hear his voice, what are you going to do? He's gentle. He's gentle. He knocks. He speaks to our heart. He whispers. We know it's him. Nothing can convince us otherwise when he's speaking to us that it's him. Had a person call me the other day, and someone I know that they, they've needed Jesus for a long time. And it's one of those things I still don't even talk church with, I don't spend time with them. And they bring up church, say, Yeah, I'll pray about that. You know, they know, they know they're invited. I told him, You said, You got an always an invite to the church. So don't be churchy with them. He called me the other day and said, Hey, you, do you believe in prayer bands? I said, You're talking about like a prayer cloth? He went, Yeah. He said, They prayed over and they, you wear it, and they tell you to wear it, and they prayed over it for your life. I went, yeah, yeah, I believe in that. I believe in prayer cloths. He said, I have been miserable ever since they gave me that prayer band. <laughs> he said, I mean miserable, cranky, mean. I went, yeah, yeah, you better believe it. Okay, he said, yeah, I believe in that. That's old-fashioned, but I believe in that. That works. It was about two days later that he, on his own, knelt down at his house and gave his heart to the Lord. He told everybody but me, and I still was waiting for him to tell me. And I came face to face with him. Well, how are you doing? Doing good. Pray for my mom. Pray for this. I'm like, okay. Then he said, finally, after about 30 minutes, he's like, did you know I gave my heart to the Lord? I said, it's great to hear. 
God has a way of dealing with us. Listen, when the Holy Spirit shows up, we don't have to press him. I don't have to try to manipulate you to get him. Because I'm going to tell you, I can't do the work he can do. That's why we let him in, because you can't do the work. And the Laodicean church figured out they couldn't do the work themselves. They had shut the door, not even realizing it. But then he comes back and he knocks at the door. That's grace knocking at your door. That is a God that said, I will never run away from you, but I will run towards you. That is a God that says, I'm on the porch like I was, the father was, looking for the prodigal. I'm always looking for you to come home. See, this meal was just not any meal. That is speaking of a meal here, that he was dying. But it was the main meal of the day when you studied out in the Greek. This was a meal which the, a man sat and talked for a long time. Jesus said, I just don't want to have a fast food Wendy's meal. I just don't want to come over, you feed, I leave, and we leave. No, we're going to sit down for a while and we're going to talk. Can I tell you, Jesus just wants to sit down with you and talk for a while. That's what he wants to do. He, he, this was not just a passing by meal. He just doesn't want to pass by us. There's times I'll just sit down in his presence and I know he doesn't want me to get up. So I sit there until I know he's done because I've had to pass by meals before and, and it's been on my account. But when God shows up and he wants to dine with me, I don't want to rule the moment. But I want to let him rule the moment. See, it's always been about relationship. It's still about relationship. What the reward is, is entering the relationship. What is that? He says to him in verse 21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He said, to him that overcomes, he said, you're going to overcome this. You don't have to be lukewarm. That's some good news. That's the gospel. That you can be zealous again for God. And he said, I want to grant to sit with you, uh, sit with me on the throne. In other words, the Bible says we're seated in heavenly places with God. You know, go back to the eye salve. He said, don't your eyes. It was for healing. See, sometimes we need our spirit to be healed, not just from sin or from being complacent, but, but maybe from a hurt. That we need the spirit of God to dine with us, to heal us from a hurt. I mean, we've all been there before. We've been hurt. You can say, well, I've never been hurt before. Well, that's great, but everybody else has at some point in their life. And the Holy Spirit wants to touch you. And He wants to heal you. And He wants to dine with you. And He wants to let you know that you're seated with Him in heavenly places, which is a place of authority and power. It's a place that zealous people get to, people that's on fire with God. Laodicea was the worst of the seven churches, yet they found grace in the time of need, no matter how bad you think you are. Because I hear, preacher, you don't know how bad I've been. Well, listen, there have been some bad people up in Scripture. The Apostle Paul, he, he, he murdered people, Christians, and take them to jail. And yet here he wrote over half the New Testament. So unless you've done some things that Paul did, then we'll have other discussions. But I don't see anybody like Paul up in the house today. So we know that there's grace for you and I. God wants to deliver us from being self-reliant and complacent. Do you realize you can have a lot but still yet rely on God? But do you realize you can have hardly anything in this world and not rely on God? It works all the way around. God's just saying, I want to rule your life and I want to be in charge of your life. Don't you rule it. Because we're not good at it. 
but God's very good at it. Today, will you stand with me? This is where I feel to go with this today. They're going to sing this song as we always do, but I feel like people need to open up today. I believe there's some people that need to be touched spiritually and be healed of some things. Maybe you've been hurt and you need to be healed. Maybe you've been let down lately and you need to be healed. Maybe you've been complacent and now it's time to be zealous again for God. I don't know where that's at with you. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to do any of that. If you're sitting by family or your spouse, will you just hold their hand today if you can? Just hold their family, hold their hand. I want you to pray for one another today. If you're with family, you, you feel comfortable holding someone's hand next to you, do that. But pray for one another today. Let's do that. Let's pray for one another today. Father, we just ask you today that you would just move in this moment. We feel your anointing here. and God, before we enter this moment of worship, we are declaring over each other that we, we are going to be good. That we are going to step up our game in you, God. But not only that, but there's places in us that need to be healed or delivered or touched. Maybe our mind, maybe our mind, our will, our emotions. Maybe our physical body. But God, we ask you to heal today. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in the house today. That we will be a church with an open door for you, God, to come and dine. That we'll hear your voice. That we'll know your voice. That we'll learn spiritual things, God, from you. In times when you're dining with us. God, we ask that you bless in this moment today. Listen, you pray, continue to pray over those that's with you today. If you need special prayer today, we want to invite you up during this time. If there's something you want us to pray over, we invite you up. Or if you just want to spend time at the altar, the altar's open for you today. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.